You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Notes from the Intelligence and National Security Summit, especially about cyber conflict with nation-states and terrorist organizations, unresolved issues of cyber deterrence, and where it should fall on the spectrum of conflict, goals of election hacking and other influence operations, ransomware trends and credential breaches, and sometimes your enemies are an even better recommendation than your friends. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, September 12, 2016. Last week's Intelligence and National Security Summit offered a great deal on cybersecurity policy and practice. Cyber was not only addressed repeatedly in the plenary sessions, but it was the focus of one of the conference's three breakout tracks. That cyberspace is of prime concern to the intelligence community, and those who support it is unsurprising, but a walk through the exhibitors' hall offered some striking confirmation. Cybersecurity vendors dominated the space. Also interesting was the clear sense that the leaders INSA and AFSIA drew to the summit were working through some of the same theoretical, practical, and conceptual issues defense thinkers have grappled with over the past century and a half. How those issues will be resolved in cyberspace is in some cases clear. Elsewhere, it remains murky. Questions of deterrence were particularly difficult to resolve. Several of the symposiasts suggest that cyber deterrence today was in roughly the same state of theoretical immaturity nuclear deterrence was in 1950. How to balance the need for certain attribution and credible retribution on the one hand, with the competing need for freedom of action and desirable ambiguity in particular, remains an unsolved challenge. The international norms we find in such places as the law of armed conflict are also still missing from cyber conflict. The entire field remains to be developed. Coupled with this, an observation made by Lieutenant General Kevin McLaughlin, Deputy Commander, U.S. Cyber Command, to the effect that cyber attacks need not be met with retaliation in kind, and it's clear that the relationship between the virtual and the kinetic worlds remains, to say the least, imperfectly understood. For a full account of the summit, visit our website, thecyberwire.com. The summit was hosted by AFSIA International and the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, INSA. Among the topics taken up at the summit was the threat posed by nation-states, Russia prominently among them, and by non-national actors, especially the Islamic State. The Islamic State, that is ISIS, may be on the way to defeat. That's the assessment of Director of Central Intelligence Brennan and his colleagues in the Big Six U.S. intelligence agencies, 
especially insofar as ISIS aspires to be a caliphate holding, governing, and administering territory. But Brennan and his colleagues don't regard this as unalloyed good news. They expect to see a decline in ISIS cyber and information operations capability as it loses the relatively secure enclaves it finds useful in producing what FBI Director Comey called, quote, the kind of propaganda they use to influence screwed-up individuals, end quote. But they anticipate problems as well, expecting a metastasis of fighters to spread to other regions as ISIS loses control over its core territory. There are reports today that law enforcement and intelligence agencies find ISIS an increasingly elusive opponent online, less easy to track and trail than it formerly was. This is in part due to ISIS's increasing use of encrypted chat, but to a great extent, as the Wall Street Journal reports, it's attributable to the caliphate's reversion to the traditional terrorist cellular tradecraft, face-to-face meetings, written notes, and misdirection. Sometimes one advances capabilities by technological retreat. The other class of threat that received a great deal of attention at last week's meeting was, of course, the nation-state threat. Here, four states were singled out as particularly troublesome. China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. Australian authorities see a rising threat of foreign cyber attacks aimed at eroding that country's government's legitimacy and the credibility of its political leaders. Chinese efforts here pose the most immediate concern, although Russia is mentioned as well. Chinese influence operations appear mostly economically motivated and to extend such things as traditional lobbying shading toward bribery. U.S. concerns about Chinese cyber operations have less to do with fear of influence than they do with ongoing incidents of direct hacking aimed at theft of intellectual property. Yet here, the experts at the Intelligence and National Security Summit were in substantial agreement. The cyber tensions with China can be and are being managed through diplomacy and negotiation. Matters stand quite differently with Russia. Here the concern is more serious, as Russia shows a strong capability and willingness to wage hybrid warfare. Both the President and the Secretary of Defense have warned Russia about interfering with U.S. political processes, and last week's symposiasts agreed there was a threat there. Director of Central Intelligence Brennan declined over the weekend to say that Russia was hacking the elections, but he did counsel wariness over Russia's cyber capabilities, which he assessed as high. Observers are arriving at a consensus that manipulating U.S. election results globally would be difficult, although local mischief remains a real concern. The dispersed and disparate nature of the state-run U.S. electoral process is, by virtue of what FBI Director Comey last Thursday called its clunkiness, relatively resistant to large-scale manipulation. But such large-scale manipulation is thought unlikely to be Russia's goal. As The Hill noted this morning, the goal is not to change the results of November's elections, but rather to call them into question, thereby undermining confidence in American democracy. In cybercrime notes, as ransomware continues to morph and spread, researchers at Trend Labs find the CryLocker ransomware exfiltrating user information as a PNG file. Another big credential breach hits, this one involving Russian instant messaging service QIP.ru. It's thought to affect 33 million users. As President Obama nears the end of his second term, the American Civil Liberties Union has opened a campaign advocating a presidential pardon for NSA leaker Edward Snowden. This Wednesday, the ACLU is expected to join Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch in opening a petition to that effect. They hope to take advantage of the attention generated by the opening of Oliver Stone's film Snowden.
Appropriately enough, the petition will be conducted online. Finally, we've on a few occasions been able to shout bravo in the direction of MSISOF's Fabian Vosar, who's released several ransomware decryption tools. Recently, he's received accolades of another kind. The Apocalypse Criminal Coding Group has named a strain of ransomware after him. Fabian Ansomware. We hear it's poorly designed. In any case, bravo, Fabian, and keep slugging. Sometimes your best recommendation is the enemies you make. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. And I'm pleased to be joined today by Israel Mursky. He's a Ph.D. candidate, researcher, and project manager at the Cybersecurity Research Center at Ben-Gurion University. Thanks for joining us today. I know one of the things you wanted to talk to us about, one of the areas of your research, is air gap security. So air gap security is a security measure in which an organization physically isolates their network from public networks in order to evade attacks or really to evade direct confrontation. So, for example, military networks or financial systems and uh, most commonly uh, industrial systems such as power plants. Although it's a great measure and it really does help minimize the uh, attack vectors on the uh, organization's network, it's not impervious to attacks. For example, there are many malwares out there that uh, can get over this air gap, this physical separation between the two networks. For example, Flame, Goss, Agent BTZ, Stuxnet, and so on and so forth. So when it comes down to it, that the attacker's challenge is two factors. One, command and control of his malware. Once he's gotten into the network, how can he control his malware to get to whatever asset he has? And data ex exfiltration. As soon as he gets whatever data or asset he wants, how can he get it out of the network? 
And in general, there are two types of channels that, that the attack would be interested in, like I mentioned before, an inbound channel and an outbound channel from the network. So for an inbound channel, there's one approach, which is actually quite interesting, is the idea that not every network is completely isolated from all other networks. For example, most buildings have what's called an HVAC system, a heating, ventilation, air conditioning system. And this system uh, will change the heating and will also allow you to control all sorts of other subsystems, such as elevators, but many times has a, a web portal for the uh, technicians to connect to and administer the, the system from remote. Now, this web portal will connect to the public internet, but in parallel, in the same physical space, you have this isolated network. So what we found is that if you compromise the HVAC system from remote, you can raise the temperature and lower the temperature of the different rooms and thus signal binary uh, modulations over the air to the computers because every computer has, a th has a basically um, uh, thermal sensors inside for the CPU and for the chassis and so on and so, on and so forth. And you can actually detect these fluctuations quite well. So it just goes, uh, goes to show that you may be able to segregate your network completely, physically, and isolate it, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, impervious from attacks. You have to think of also all sorts of other outside-the-box kind of attacks and side channels that can be affected. Israel Mirsky, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.